If you've been with us the last uh, few weeks, you know that we've been in the epistle of James in the New Testament. And you also know that James, as a pastor, is working with a group of people. And the people that he's working with is really smart. They know a lot intellectually about the Christian faith. And there's a competition between all the audiences that the epistles in the New Testament are written to. And you put them all in a competition. You had them do a great big Bible Monopoly game. Uh, you would find that James's audience would crush all of Paul's audiences. See, all these people, they, they would readily confess Christ with their lips. But what they weren't so ready to do was to practice the teachings of Jesus. So what James does in his epistle is that he critiques their lifestyle. He wants the faith that they know in their heads to make a difference in the way that they live their life, especially from our passage today in regards to their speech. So let's read James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea and sea creature can be tamed and it has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our, our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine bear produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, now because uh, we need more than my preparation. We need more than just uh, willing ears or what we need is your spirit. And so, Lord, would you send your spirit now to make applications I can never make. Lord, that you would uh, convict us of our sin. Lord, that you would confirm us in grace. And Lord, that you would instruct us to a new way. Oh, Lord, do this work among us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, from our passage here, I really want us to see three things. I want us to see, uh, the first thing is that the, uh, the, the power of words, how powerful speech is in verses three to six. I want us to see how our speech is uncontrollable in verses seven and eight. Then I want us to see that our speech is inconsistent in verses nine to 12. So the power of speech. Think about what you usually attribute power to. Usually we measure power in terms of size or stature or influence or titles, things like big storms, big animals, big titles like president, doctor, dean, chairman, and especially big followings. But our text locates power in something very small and very ordinary, our tongues. 
And when James uses this metaphor, tongue, he's using it as a metaphor for our speech, to refer to our use of language. And throughout the scriptures, not just in James, it gives an extraordinary amount of attention to our speech. I mean, think about how speech is used at the very beginning, that God spoke the word into being. And he made man during creation. He made woman during creation. And he made them in his image. And by being in his image, part of what it means is that we have the ability to use and apprehend language. So what it means to be human, at least in part, is that we're made to speak words and to hear words. And words well-spoken can make your life, while ill-conceived words can break your life. And that's why James strings together these three metaphors about something being small that exerts a seemingly disproportionate amount of power. Do you see it? You have bits with horses, you have rudders with boats, and you have sparks with fires. And those first two metaphors, the bits with the horses and the rudders with ships, are really talking about the power of guidance. I mean, if you've been around horses, you know that they're guided by a bit that's put into their mouth, and then that bit is, 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 is hooked onto these leather straps or the reins that the rider pulls on to direct the horse in a certain direction. And then there's rudders, that small thing on the bottom and the back of a boat that, 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 that the captain uses to take the boat wherever he or she would like to take it. And what James is saying is that our words guide our lives in the same way. When we think about that, it makes sense that hearers, that our words direct our hearers in that kind of way. We know the kind of power that speech has over the hearer. But what James is trying to say with these two things is that he's trying to say that our speech has power over the speaker so that we don't think about quite as much. And Benjamin, he read one of these Proverbs, but let me give you two. One is Proverbs 12, 14. Listen closely. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Let me say it again. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. See, it's not the fruit of someone else's mouth that satisfies the man, but it is the fruit of his own mouth that satisfies him. Then you get Proverbs 18, 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Now, usually we would think the proverb would read something like this. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and others' lips are a snare to his soul. It's fascinating. Of course, your words can snare someone else's soul, but they can't snare your soul, according to this proverb. But it makes sense if you start to think about it. I mean, think about when you confess a crush. When you confess a crush, you begin to tell people that you like someone. The more people you tell, the more you like the person you have a crush on. And maybe it's been a long time since you've thought about that, but it's true. Or think about gossiping. See, what makes gossip so bad isn't just that it sabotages someone else's character. What makes gossip so bad is that it galvanizes your own low opinion of that person. If you think low of that person, then you gossip, you will think even lower of them. But the opposite is true too. Think about praising someone else. If you praise someone else in front of others, you will believe that that person is even more praiseworthy. See, words have enormous power over the speaker and over the listener. 
And it's because that words are a symbol of reality that shape the destiny of our own lives and also those with whom we're in relationship with. See the bit, the rudder. Look at the spark. I mean, think about the four spark illustration. And he's talking to a Middle Eastern audience. They, they live in the desert. They've witnessed firsthand how a small spark could set a sparse dry foliage ablaze in just an instant. And see, our words have that kind of power. James uses this phrase, the entire course of life and the entire course of life can be destroyed by words. You know the little phrase that, that, that we usually use with children. I hope you never use it. Maybe you've used it in the past. That's fine. I have too, but maybe we won't use it again. And it says this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never. It's total baloney. See, what James would say is that sticks and stones may only break my bones, but words can pollute and destroy and corrupt my soul forever. See, all of us, we, we have lived with the persistent echo of words poorly chosen. I mean, think about it. Just a one-time occurrence of someone saying you need to lose some weight can send someone into a lifelong pattern of destructive eating habits. It's a spark. And that one-time comment can set the whole person's life ablaze. See, it's tempting. It's tempting to learn how powerful words are. Then you commit to get your tongue under control, right? And James anticipates this, so he tells us that our words are untamable. See, there in verse 7, he says that mankind has the capacity to control and subdue animals for all kinds of purposes, that you can do so for farming or for war. But even though mankind can subdue animals, they can't tame their own tongue. I mean, I'm sure you've never said things you wish you didn't, right? But maybe if you have, I, I bet you wish words moved slow enough from your mouth that you could catch them before they entered the ear of your hearer. I mean, think about how we use our words. When we're young, we whine. When we're old, we criticize. When we fail, we make excuses or we blame others. When we succeed, we boast. But just knowing that you need to reform your speech and exert effort in that direction, it's not going to lead to much change. Why? According to James, it's because your words are untamable. You might say, okay, you're right. You're right. Words are powerful for guiding my life and destroying the lives of others. You're right. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to keep a tight rein on my speech. But Marsha, you know I like to sing with Justin on Sunday mornings. Marcy, I mean, you know I like to pray every once in a while. I mean, that's got to count for something. I mean, my words, my, my words isn't a total garbage dump. Well, not necessarily. See, James gives us two more illustrations in verses 9 to 12. One's of a spring. And James says the springs can produce salt and, and fresh water. It says they can't produce both salt and fresh water. They only produce one kind of water, either salt or fresh. Then he gives another illustration from the world of agriculture, and he says that olive trees only produce olives. Fig trees only produce figs. Grapevines only produce grapes. But with the tongue, it's like a spring. It vacillates between fresh water and salt water. 
It's like a tree that bears peaches one day and mangoes the next. So just because we pray and just because we sing a Christian tune, just because we offer a word of encouragement here and there doesn't mean that we have evened out the scales. See, God's standard is much higher than that. He wants our speech to be consistent, not duplicitous. So maybe you're not convinced quite yet how poor your speech is. Well, I would encourage you to do what has been deemed the tongue assignment. For seven days, you make six commitments. Here they are. You ready? Don't complain. That's just one. I mean, I'm already sunk. Uh, don't complain. Don't boast. Don't gossip. Don't defend or make excuses. Don't interrupt. <laughs> and only affirm. I think what will happen at the end of these seven days, you'll conclude that your only hope is to live in isolation in a cave for the rest of your life. See, James knows this. He's telling us that the tongue has vast influence and that we ought to control it, yet no human can tame the tongue. I mean, essentially what James is asking us to do is something we can't do. It's kind of a pickle, isn't it? And so with that pickle and you come to our text and there's two ways to approach the problem. Though the first thing you could do is just soften James's words a touch and say, it's almost impossible to tame the tongue. And since it's almost impossible, at least I've got a chance. So I'm going to redouble on my efforts. Your other option with this seeming pickle is that you have to turn outside for a source of help. You know you can't tame the tongue. I mean, verse 8, James says, No one can tame the tongue, meaning no mere human can tame the tongue, but there's someone who can. God can. Now think about what God's done with words in the past. I mean, He's created a word, He, he created the world from nothing with only words. God created the nation of Israel by his word. He sent the word to become flesh in Christ who would then speak words that calm storms, that heal the sick and that rose the dead to life. But there's one thing that God could not bring about with only words. And it was forgiveness. See, for forgiveness to come to pass, our sin had to be punished. Something had to happen more than words spoken had to happen. Because all of our hurtful words, all of our boasts and our lies, our exaggerations, our flattery, our slander, our uncharitable remarks, our verbal attacks, our manipulative words, our curses, they all deserve judgment. And that's one truth. The other truth is that in love, God wanted to receive us that we were made in his image, that his plan all along was that we would join him in the dance of love that he enjoyed within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we need punishment, but God loves us. And so God had been working for centuries to bring these two truths together so that forgiveness could be a reality. 
And it was at the cross. It was at the cross that God's love kissed God's judgment. Jesus, the one who used his words only for good, the one who tamed his tongue, the one whose tongue was utterly consistent, he absorbed the judgment that you and I deserve for all of our ill-spoken words. And it's when you hear the words made possible by Jesus' sacrifice that your heart will really change. And these words from the scriptures, these promises from the scripture, they're made possible because of the cross. Words like he casts your sin as far as the east is from the west, including your lies. Words like he remembers your sin no more. Words like there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Words like he's kind to the unthankful and the evil. Words like he's removed condemnation from you. Words like he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that he's chosen you, predestined you, adopted you into his family, he's redeemed you, he's granted you forgiveness, and he's given you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. All of these words are made possible because forgiveness was more than spoken, but demonstrated by Jesus. And when you hear these words, when you hear these words in your heart of hearts, your words will change because your heart has changed. See, it's no amount of effort that's going to change your words. You can't change your heart. No amount of polished pedigree will change your words because your environment will not change your heart. Here's another implication. Your words can't change somebody else's heart. So quit trying. I mean, you can get as loud as you want, not going to change your heart. You can be clear and winsome and persuasive, but your words aren't going to suffice. I mean, remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you want the mouth to change, the heart's got to change. Jesus goes on to say, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So brother and sister, we need to be a people of prayer. We need to spend all of our days after we failed that tongue assignment yet again of repenting for how we've used our words and begging God to change our hearts. We need to spend our days asking God to change the hearts of those we love instead of trying to change them with our words. So brother and sister, before we come to this meal today, would you lay yourself before the Lord? I mean, Justin's going to come up and play for just a couple of minutes. I mean, this again, James is a tough book and this is a tough text and it hits home. It hit home for me all week. But he's not just trying to nail you to the wall and, 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 and condemn you forever so your head is hung low. He's trying to get you to see your need for Jesus. So before we take of Jesus, his blood and his body, just spend a couple moments in prayer. Let me pray. We'll have a time of silence. Father, I pray that you would make these words 
uh, more than just words that come in one ear and out the other, but Lord, words that come in one ear and sink deeply into our heart and that change us. And Lord, may we see you on a cross, broken in two, because you loved us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.